friends, I'm Fiona Lewis and I'm Gwen Crabb and welcome to the Say It How It Is podcast, connected by Vodafone. We are on a mission to bring taboo topics to light and change the narrative. Being vulnerable can be tough, but we're here to show you that even those at the top of their game, be that sports, coaching, business or medicine, go through the same struggles, problems and issues as you. But just a quick disclaimer, we are not professionals, just two rugby players sharing our own experiences and stories, having open and honest conversations with some amazing guests. If you are affected by any of the topics discussed in the podcast, please do contact a professional. And now, let's get into today's episode. Okay, uh, welcome back to episode four. Um, we have a very special episode today, which is one that's very personal to me, where we're joined by two amazing guests. Uh, Mr. I'm going to call him Mr. Griffiths because I can't call him by his first name, <laughs> <laughs> who is a guiding consultant because I also can't say the proper word. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure, Fionn. And Anna, who is the co-founder of Mental Health Project. Thank, Thank you, so you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. So we'll start with you, Tony. I don't mind calling <laughs> you Tony. Absolutely. Um, I'm intrigued to find out what it was exactly that made you want to go into the, the career pathway that you have and become a gynecologist, to be honest with <laughs> It's a really common question people mm-hmm. ask. And when you start in medicine, you can divide almost into two streams. There's the physician side of things. It's really academic. You go around the wardrooms, you make diagnosis. You think your house, essentially. Or you become a surgeon, which is very practical. And my background is very practical in some ways. But surgery was more sort of fix it, but less talking and chatting and discussing with people. It was less patient-centred perhaps then. Whereas obstetrics and gynecology was a blend of both together. And you could really do both things. You could treat people medically. You could discuss and come up with diagnosis. But you could also treat people surgically. And at that point in time as well, gynecologists were always the friendly specialty. If you went there as a junior, you quickly gained surgical skills. Um, there wasn't really a hierarchy structure. Everyone was kind of flat. You could, your boss of 20 years would be just be known by their first name and not their surname, for instance. And it was very relaxed. And you could make changes to people's lives in a positive way really quickly. Um, and actually, relatively small interventions and yet massive changes in people's quality of life. So... Actually, from day one to now, gynecology has been absolutely fantastic. I think it's the second best job in Cardiff, other than pain rugby. <laughs> 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 like, you can, he can come again. Yeah. How long have you actually been a surgeon for? Uh, that's a shocking figure. Um, <laughs> I, I think I started in 1996. <gasps> I was born uh, then. Uh, I was three. Please, I was that's awful. <gasps> I was born a, yeah, then. I yeah. was just yeah. not even a thought then. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I could have oh. delivered you, yeah. That's even more Flipping worrying. it. Yeah. Um, and for people that obviously don't know, and I can't, he's telling me he's calling Tony, but I can't. I feel like a kid in school, you can't call your teacher by the first name because it's disrespectful. But Mr. Griffiths is actually my uh, surgeon who diagnosed me with endometriosis. So that is why I can't call him Tony. <laughs> Um, And then Anna, obviously your uh, co-founder of the Mental Health Project, if you'd like to give us a little background of how that started and why. So it's a long journey. (laughs) Uh, I've got endometriosis myself, so I was diagnosed two weeks before I was 18 and I was diagnosed with stage four and it gone into my bowel, so I had to have a resection. And ever since it's been a nightmare it's grown back probably every 12 to 18 months quite aggressively to the point I had my first ileostomy which is where um 
they divert your bowel out to your tummy. So I've got a stoma. Then I had my large bowel removed in May 21. And then in November 21, I had a hysterectomy, full hysterectomy when I was 28 because it had just destroyed my womb. And I was very lucky to have my daughter like at a young age. So I was 22 when I had my daughter because I met my husband young. So I count my blessings every day that that happened because if it, I'd waited to, you know, what they say, the natural age to having children, I would never have had her because she was premature and had a really difficult time with her. And then I had urostomy surgery this year. So where they diverted my bladder because my bladder failed because it attacked it so much. So the reason I started Menstrual Health Project, along with the other co-founder, Gabs, we both suffer severely with endometriosis and we both noticed there isn't enough out there about the condition. It's great that there are charities working on research, but there's no kind of resources to support people now. So we created the first ever endometriosis diagnostic toolkit along with our medical professionals on our board and they're in schools now and colleges, doctors, sexual health clinics. And we basically wanted to be like just what we needed as teenagers because I was told when I was a teenager missing school, missing sports because I was in agony that I was just being dramatic and that I needed to pull it together. I needed to just get on with it. I was even told by my first GP that... I needed psychiatric help because she thought it was all in my head. And you do, with this condition, you do really think you're going crazy when the doctors don't listen to you. So for us, we want to give people the tools to advocate for themselves mainly to kind of go into that doctor's surgery and be like, actually, no, you're not going to fob me off today. Could it be this? Because I'd never heard of endometriosis before I was diagnosed. And I think like we don't get a choice whether we have periods as women. So we should just be knowing about these conditions. And it's not to scare people. It's more to give them the tools that if they know somebody or themselves that are struggling, they know what to do and that it's okay to ask for help. Because I think it's been a historical thing where we're not allowed to talk about it because it's a taboo subject. And we need to stop that. So as Menstrual Health Project, that's what we're there for. We're there to kind of just diminish that stigma and say that it's okay to talk about your periods. Um, that is, I don't know how we're going to go from that. It's <laughs> an awesome open. Um, no, I can completely resonate with things you're saying. And, you know, that's one reason why we started this podcast is mm. to discuss um, taboo uh, topics and subjects and to really break that stigma. But again, going back to when you said that, you know, you got diagnosed, like what were your symptoms that made you question, okay, what is there something wrong with me like what made what was happening to you when you were younger that made you think okay this could not be normal yeah so I was lucky that my dad was like my backbone he took me to the doctors constantly which is quite it wasn't well, I say normal what is normal but you know wasn't normal for a dad to be by the side of a young girl to kind of fight their corner and my mum was there too like she was a mental health nurse but a lot of the time like my dad was there to take me to appointments but I started my periods at 11 and from the get-go they were heavy so like I would bleed flood constantly so bleed through my school uniform and that's horrific as a teenager and it was that I would say was one of my biggest symptoms is the pain with my period. 
bleeding to the point I would bleed up to 72 days non-stop I'd go through pads every 30 minutes I'd end up anemic because I was losing so much blood and the pain didn't wasn't just cyclical it was becoming all of the time by the age of 14 15 so I was back and forth to doctors all the time saw a pediatrician who said no it's absolutely fine there's nothing wrong with you and it actually was when I was 16, I ended up having my appendix removed because they thought it was appendicitis. And the surgeon turned around and said, I actually could see endometriosis around your appendix. I think you've got endometriosis, but I can't treat it because I'm not a gynecologist. So he sent me to a gynae in that hospital that I'd actually seen previously. And she completely wouldn't agree with his findings. So that's when my dad took me privately to a surgeon in Birmingham and... I I don't say this lightly. He saved me really because I thought I was going nuts because I was, it got to the point where I was having constipation or diarrhea all of the time, bleeding from my back passage, pain passing urine, constant UTIs. And it wasn't just painful periods. Painful periods is hard enough, but having all those other symptoms, you do end up questioning yourself. You end up believing what other people are saying if they're doubting you so like the doctors who were saying oh actually it could be in her head I was then thinking is it me have I got a low tolerance to pain and now I actually know that actually I've got quite a high tolerance because I didn't know I was in labor when I was in labor so it's I think it's one of those it's horrible as a young I think any age but as a young person especially because you feel you don't have the right to speak up and to actually voice your concerns but I think if it wasn't for that surgeon who took my appendix out and said you've got endometriosis I I don't know when I would have been diagnosed. To be fair like individually I said like I'm very privileged where I've been medically supported by my rugby where like they paid for me to go private and, and see Mr Griffiths and I can remember saying after my surgery with Mr Griffiths I was like oh you know I've only, from the time I first seen him until my surgery, he's only for a space of five to six months. And I remember him saying to me, Well, no, how many years have you actually struggled with your periods? Or how many mm. years you've actually, it's not just like a, oh, this has been a five, six months for you. You've only had it that period of time. You've, you've had it for years. Yeah. You just haven't known that you've had it. Exactly. And I think, like you said, you build that pain tolerance. Um, and I completely resonate with what you're saying. Like, I always question myself to think, oh my gosh I'm being dramatic or like there's nothing wrong or this is becomes your norm so it just you don't think of it in any other way because mm-hmm. that's just the normal for you and it wasn't until I can remember sitting with you and and look at you said to me you asked me all the questions do you use a hot water bottle do you use medication to have your pain and x y and z and I was like yes 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 <laughs> and he was like yeah well I'm telling you now the chances of you having endometriosis is very high and I'm looking yeah. at him like no, I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah. like, I literally, before I went into my surgery, I literally was in... Do you remember this? I was, were you there? Yeah. I was in the gym, yeah. literally that morning. Yeah, actually, yeah, I will speak about this. We were in the gym, I'm like, Fee, don't you have surgery today? And she's like, yeah, it's in about two hours. And I'm like, oh, so you're just going to do squats now, are you? Okay. Um, of no food. Yeah, she hadn't eaten, obviously. And I'm like, is she all right? Like, and I was like, okay, I think, like, just, you know, be kind to yourself. For the next day, I'm like, Fiona, you all right? She's like, I am dying. (laughs) 
I can't get up. I can't move. Literally, I can remember leaving the gym and everyone's like, "Where are you going?" I'm like, "Oh, I got surgery now." <laughs> I got, I'm like, "Yeah, I've got to be there for, in 45 minutes." And everyone's talking to me like, "Sorry, are you are you unhinged?" Like, what? I was like, and I was so chilled about it because I just I didn't think he was going to find anything. No offense, I didn't think he would. <laughs> I said this to you. <laughs> didn't think he was going to find anything. I didn't understand what it was. I like just like you said, mm. I'd never heard of endometriosis. Literally, until I'd started seeing my scripts, I didn't know what it was. I still don't really understand the full extent of it. Like, I'm learning every day. But I was so laid back and I was just adamant, like, yeah, you might find a little blob, but it'll be nothing. And then fast forward a few hours when I'm coming around to surgery and I've got my graphical photos in front of me and Mr. Griffiths is explaining what that is. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> all right. And he's like, yep, told you. I'm like, yeah, you were right. Because, <laughs> like, I think you just... You just tell yourself there's nothing wrong. Yeah. And like I say, it becomes your norm and you live with that. And I think, yeah, what I found hard then was a few days post-surgery was when it really hit me. It was overwhelming because I was like, I'm not a psycho. Mm-hmm. I'm not crazy. Like, And I think then, oh my gosh, I've gone through X, Y, and Z or pushed myself through X, Y, and Z when there was actually something wrong. So, um, yeah, crazy really. It is really difficult with that because I think... I don't know, you feel that sense of relief that you've been diagnosed with mm. something, but then you feel that dread of being diagnosed with something that has no cure and that you don't know how to navigate it because, like, not, a, and you'll say this, not every um, patient is the same. It's completely varied and it's such a difficult disease to manage. My consultant always laughs at me and goes, it's so difficult to manage patient to patient. You just don't know. And it is hard. And like when I, you know, going back to when I was diagnosed, I'd have never foreseen what happened to me now. And it's just one of those diseases that is so, there's so little known about it, but it needs that much more awareness about it because it's a debilitating condition. I think I can remember coming around from surgery and the nurse came out to whisper me, he found endo. I was like, great. And then I was like, wait, is that great? I'm not sure. And I can, I literally is exactly how I felt where I was like, I'm so glad that he'd found something. I say he, you're right there. Sorry, <laughs> that you'd found something. It was like a sense of relief that I was like, oh my gosh, that answers all my questions. And then the, everything else came and it was in the position when you were like, oh, you, how severe it was, you were infertile. It was acting as a contraception for you because it was so severe in there. And I'm like, oh, Okay. And then it's like that real mixed emotions of like, I'm, yeah, I'm relieved that I've got an answer and I'm not crazy. And then the other hand of it, I'm like, okay, the consequence of what actually having it and the severity of what you've got. Yeah, that was very like, okay, how do I deal with this? And I suppose because so many people don't know about it, not many people know how to communicate with you about it. So our people in my circle, obviously it's new to them, just as it was for me, but nobody knew okay, how do I speak to you about it? How do I support you? Because I actually have no idea what you've got. Uh, and, you know, it's not like if you've got a cold or whatever, you you, you can know the advice to give, you know, dose yourself up. But with something like Endo, what advice or support do you give someone when you don't actually know much about it? On that note, Tony, can you explain to us what exactly is endometriosis? Because I actually don't know a huge amount about it. And obviously I've seen Fionn go through it and go through the struggle post-surgery and that kind of thing. But education wise and I think for people listening to this podcast as well that 
um, don't have any experience with it, what exactly is endo and what are the symptoms that people can get as well, um, yes. in addition to what we've spoken about? You can kind of define it two ways. There's the scientific uh, diagnosis that's kind of a bit boring, but it's some of the similar structures to the lining of the womb that is located usually in the pelvis. So you get little spots, sometimes they're red, sometimes they're pigmented, sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's like a scar tissue, a fibrotic type of scar tissue that disrupts organs. Um, one of our problems with endometriosis is probably more than one disease or labelled endometriosis and there's different genetics, different symptoms. Um, and that's why people probably present in different ways. Um, it is certainly a genetic condition. We've got really good evidence to support that. We've got this thing called the Icelandic study that looks at twin studies and population-based uh, studies. And also you've got identical twin studies. And another interesting study is if you do an MRI scan, for instance, of first-degree relatives of somebody with known endometriosis, an MRI is a really rubbish test. You miss loads of endometriosis. But even that, you'll find about 80% of first-degree relatives have signs on imaging of MRI. So we know it's in families. And weirdly enough, you would think that would be an advantage because you, your mother would say, you've got endometriosis. But it's actually a disadvantage because ladies, their periods begin, and they say, well, is this normal? Is it not? Who do I ask? I'll ask my mother. Mm-hmm. And my mother said, well, I had it, so therefore it's normal. And yeah. then you've got a delayed barrier. And it can present in different ways in real terms. And each of the symptoms can predict your probability of having it. Um, if you ask people on the high street today, what is endometriosis? Most people would run away and say, I'm not going to clear what you're on about. <laughs> but the majority of people wait. It's something to do with painful periods. And that's a real problem because our perception in culture, the painful periods, is a minor inconvenience associated with two paracetamol. And that's it. And we need a different word, really, for painful periods for endometriosis because it's not as we've, we've heard already, really, it is equivalent to childbirth. It is truly awful pain. It Preach. is dreadful. Um, and I often talk to GPs and say, if you had somebody in your waiting room, for instance, who was in labour, you wouldn't offer them two paracetamol. So mm. why do you d- discount their symptoms? Because you can't see it. And so people often present with painful periods that is agony, debilitating, collapsing, fainting with this pain. It is awful. Nausea, vomiting, sweating, Agony is the best way to describe it. That's that you can pain throughout your cycle, pain in your back, pain radiating down legs. Um, it affects bladder function in a variety of ways. Some people have incontinence, some people have absolute continence. They can't pass urine with, they get pain on passing urine, sometimes constipation, diarrhea. But pain on opening bowels at the time of the periods, it is described like passing glass, it's agony. You find some ladies collapsed on the bathroom floor. People get cyclical rectal bleeding. And because they're teenagers, they think it's normal because mm. why would you not? And nobody's ever asked me that question. Mm. Uh, pain throughout the cycle. And then you've got the other aspects associated with it. You get pain and intercourse, marital breakdowns, inability to work, lack of employment, failure in education and all this additional stuff, your economic failure. And then, as you've probably heard, you're trying to get help from various sources as described, you've gone to the general surgeons, you've gone to the urologists, you've gone to the bowel surgeons, and you've gone to a variety of specialties. Your case notes are becoming thicker. So then there's a label put on you, it's in your head. Mm-hmm. And then the bigger your case note, the more specialties you've seen, the bigger this illusion becomes. And then people sadly start to believe in themselves. So it's a miserable disease. Depression doesn't cause endometriosis, but endometriosis causes depression. And I'm convinced the suicide rate is much higher in ladies with endometriosis and without, particularly ladies who can't get help. It definitely is. 
It's Marilyn Monroe, isn't it? Yeah. Because she, she overdosed on painkillers because of her endometriosis. Oh, Shut up. Marilyn Monroe and Mitch mm-hmm. Well, I never. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, I can see it, especially like from my own perspective. I've So I developed OCD induced by anxiety mm. from my diagnosis. But it only came, I would say, much worse after I had my daughter because that's when my bowel completely stopped mm. working. So I think, yeah, there's a huge correlation with mental health and endometriosis in a variety of different ways. I think individually, I kind of felt like I have no right to be complaining about my endo compared to like the stories I hear from everybody else. And I think because my, which is also a question for you, what was a red flag for me really was uh, basically when I exercise at like a max exertional state that I get the pain that you would experience I suppose girls have it through periods where they're on the floor and like it's screaming crying. I never had that I said my periods were, were painful but I suppose I had such a high pain threshold where I would I would go my daily life that screaming exertional that screaming pain would come for me from max exertion so like wh- why do you think that max exertional exercise then in my scenario would flare my endo for mm. example mm. Yeah, endo and how it causes pain is really interesting. It's, it's, it's sometimes complex in some ways. There's a physical thing. It causes scar tissue. It compresses nerves and a variety of nerves as well. And that's the kind of the physical direct effect. But one of the mechanisms endo has, it creates a molecule called interleukin. And interleukin is a particularly unpleasant molecule. It's the, when you get a cold or flu, when you feel that sort of achy feeling over the day before, you know you're going to get a cold and you're thinking, you feel a bit hypersensitive, your bones are aching. That's due to interleukin secretion. And endometriosis makes this stuff. Um, and it sensitizes nerves, so nerves and peripheral nerves and, and, and core nerves are more susceptible to pressure then as well. So that's one of the mechanisms. You get the same response with exercise. Well, that answered my question. Um, that's very interesting. It is very interesting. Is. I'm honestly very interesting. Interesting. I'm learning so much. Yeah, because yeah. like I know I've spoken out a lot about it already, but being involved in a team sport and especially being my job, I always had this like grey cloud over me. I was like, I can't make an excuse. I can't pull out the fitness today because I'm more than I got a bad stomach. Because like one at the time before my endodiagnosis, I didn't know why I was in pain. So it just looked to me in a team sport. I was like, I'm just making excuses or I'm letting the team down or like teammates potentially look at me to be like, come on, like grow up kind of thing, you know? And then I suppose... What came with that was fatigue for me. Actually, more so, like, definitely, oh, gosh, you've seen me in the gym, Gwen. Please elaborate. <laughs> I am literally like a zombie because the fatigue it gives me, I am so tired all the time. Even more post-op, I've just, I've really struggled recovering. Um, but I also have a huge amount of admiration and respect for you because I think it was about five days to a week, maybe, post-endo-op. Uh-oh. Yeah, I probably shouldn't say this in front of your surgeon. Um, like, you're back in the gym and you're lifting weights and I'm thinking, this girl's cracking on. Like, yeah, I probably shouldn't happened. have done that, really. No, in, in hindsight, <laughs> right. But it, it comes back to the type of person that you are and it's just, yeah. like, being drilled into you just as crack on and just, like, you know, as if nothing's going on. But honestly, like, I find, like, I've been through an ACL-op, you know, a similar time to, to Fion and... It's it's not a smooth road ever, but to have something like an endo diagnosis and surgery, and to just crack on like nothing's happened, like yeah. that's incredible. And we've spoken a lot on this podcast about 
you know, taking the time to be proud of yourself mm. for going through what you go through. But I think sometimes when you when you are going through it, like the same way, you know, growing up with your periods, both of you like you pe- that's just your norm, and and people are just saying, oh, it's normal, and you go into doctors and they're saying it's normal. Like you just kind of get caught up in that, but actually, yeah. like coming from an outsider's perspective, like it's, it's honestly incredible to hear. And I'm very proud of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm trying not to cry. No, don't, those um, lashes are brand new. Don't cry. <laughs> these lashes, i got to keep them dry. <laughs> um, no, I suppose something you may resonate with is because I think you just get on with it, again, because it's your norm. So, yeah, after surgery, I struggled for a few days processing. Wow. Okay, there is actually something wrong. And the severity. And, like, when I actually spoke out about my diagnosis, like, publicly, I said in my post that, like everyone should have the right to have a child like it's a choice to have a child like mm-hmm. i'm not in a position where i want children anytime soon but i don't think that choice should be taken away from me and obviously then coming out to find out that what it was like in there <laughs> where you know i if i wanted to have a baby at that point where i didn't have surgery i, I probably my success rate was very slim so all those things were quite overwhelming but then yeah after that i was like well here's what it is get on with it in the gym a week later that is exactly but then I did think after probably well you did say I was like what's my recovery rate and he's like oh here she goes (laughs) two weeks but people like you you're probably going to be back in a week (laughs) (laughs) and I came back to him and you were like how long then how long until you actually went in and I was like well you were right (laughs) took me a week and I was back in but I suppose it's the mental side too where it takes a massive toll on you I'm not sure how you feel with that too like after you had your diagnosis, yes, it's like you spoke about earlier, yeah, it's relieving, but also how did you deal with it? Okay, actually, I'm living with something that's chronic. I think I was on a hamster wheel for a very long time, do you know, like just you keep going, keep going. And you just, I don't know, I don't think you believe it's happening, even though you know it's happening and it's been diagnosed. But for me, I think it all went to pot after I had my daughter in the nicest possible way but um my bowel failed so like I was getting incontinence and I had a sacral nerve stimulator put in so it's like a pacemaker in your spine that controls your muscles for your bowel and I had that and that failed after four months and everything just slowly kept going downhill to the point I was being admitted every three weeks because I needed uh, like it's a bit like chronic irrigation but it had to be done in theatre to make sure that my bowel didn't perforate and this was all through Covid as well so it was incredibly difficult because nobody could be with me and that's when I think I realised I had to kind of manage my condition rather than ignore that it was there because the symptoms were just too much I just couldn't keep going to the point last year I had to give up my job so I still run a business but my full-time job I used to work in an optician so I gave that up um, probably about six months after starting the charity and honestly if I didn't have the charity I don't know where I'd be because I think that gives me the focus I need but it's it's hard because in one way you want to ignore it's there because you don't want to let it win but in so many other ways it's affecting everything else but like you saying you're back in the gym after a week I I had sepsis three and a half weeks ago and I was back doing events within like five days and you just end up in you know like you just keep going why are we programmed like this <laughs> I don't why know. are we programmed um, like this and my husband keeps saying like come on now you need to just slow down and yeah. look after yourself but for me I think the biggest struggle is I'm 30 I shouldn't be this 
having to slow down this much at this age. And I think I really struggle with that because, you know, like I have a disabled badge for my car and the amount of comments I've had when I park in a disabled bay and I had this elderly gentleman, bless his heart in a way, but he, I got out of the car and he started shouting at me going, you can't be disabled driving that car. And I said, you have no idea what's under my clothes. Mm. You know, like they have no, and that, I think that's the biggest struggle with endometriosis is it's invisible to a lot of people. And as sad as it is, it's only until I had my stomas, so something physical to show for it, did doctors going through A&E actually took me seriously. And that to me is like so disheartening because so many people just get left. And I find that difficult, but... I think an, my age thing is a struggle because you kind of worry about the future as well. You think, what am I going to be like when I'm 60 if I'm like this now? I'm hoping I'll be like Benjamin Button and I'll be partying <laughs> with my grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, you will. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's, so much has happened in a short space of time. And like I've advocated online for a long time now. And I always say, especially newly diagnosed people, is I'm like, please don't look at my story and think that's going to be you because it's so important. I've had a few failings in my care over the years. So, and it's just the way it's happened and the way the disease has progressed. So I think everybody is different. And I think that's the important thing to know with endometriosis, but it's being aware of those symptoms that if actually, you know, like yourself, you've just had surgery. If like six months down the line, you start feeling poorly again, that you seek that help that you need. Don't sit on it. Don't wait. And I think that's the biggest thing for anybody going through anything is, you know, your own body. Don't just ignore those symptoms. And I think as women, we do kind of ignore those symptoms a lot of the time and kind of be like, oh, I'll be fine. But you, I think time is key, especially with conditions like endometriosis. Well, it's- before speaking out about my endo, I felt really nervous. Like, I was so anxious about, like, sharing this Instagram post to, like, say, I've just had surgery and this is what, you know, I've been diagnosed with. And I can remember sitting, like, I spoke about it already, but I can remember sitting on the sofa, staring at it, being like, I don't want to post it. I'm too scared. And I, cause, because I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know that there was so many people that suffered with it. And as soon as I shared it, the response I had within even an hour, and I can remember you being, you even messaged me to say mm-hmm. that you've got your charity and you've yeah. been really supportive. Um, and like so many women like you were reaching out to me, either reaching out for support or like saying that about their own experiences. And I just had this like weight lifted off my shoulders. And I was like, gosh, I'm so glad I did that. Because even since then, even my own friends, I literally... I'm like going to be his peer soon because I'm sending you so many people that are like <laughs> messaging me and being like, who's your surgeon? Who did you go and see? And I'm like, here's the man. <laughs> here's the girl saving everyone's lives pretty much. Um, and then everyone's coming back to me saying like, well, I've been to see Mr. Griffiths and yeah, I'm, I'm going in for surgery or I've, I've been diagnosed and stuff like that. And I'm like, gosh, that's from like one post. And I'm yeah. like, you're, the work you're doing with your charity, which I actually love when you said you're being what you needed when you were younger because if, if everyone Fionn's, looked at my Fionn's phone, background on their phone it is yeah. it's my screensaver on my phone be who you needed when you were younger mm-hmm. again a sole reason about why we're doing this podcast because like that is so powerful and so so incredible because like you said like who was there for you or like you who was there that you were looking up to be like okay this lady's going through it gives me either hope or it gives me an insight to what 
life could be like or how mm. I can get through it. So I just think that the fact you're using your experience, I know it's been really negative, but I hope you can actually look back on that and think, gosh, like you're helping so many different people, myself I think included. You have to, as much as it is horrific and it can be soul destroying, I had to turn a, ne- a huge negative into a positive. Like I've got a little girl who's seven and potentially starts her period in two, two years time. And like you said, with the genetic link, there isn't with my family, there is no one, but I, they've made it clear I could be the start of that genetic link. So it's, I want her and her generation to have the knowledge we didn't because it's been a generational thing where we don't talk about our periods and we don't talk about our health and we need to change that. And that's why with the charity, so both me and Gabs both suffered from early ages. She was 10 I was 11 starting periods and again, both very painful from the get-go. And we didn't have anyone in school there to kind of give us that push to be like, actually, I don't think there's something quite right. We lost a lot of friends along the way because they didn't understand you weren't going out as like late teens or even early teens. You weren't going out and having a drink and stuff because you were in so much pain, but they just saw you as being flaky or just, you know, just not being fun as they used to say and I think for us it's giving the right information at the right time so we go in to primary schools high schools colleges unis because those people need that information but not only that we go into workplaces and we love going into heavily male dominated workplaces this is what we want to talk about this is what we're going to get to (laughs) yeah because I think it's so important for a very long time especially in schools we've separated the conversation and we need to not do that it needs to be everybody in the conversation because there is going to be somebody in their life that they're going to come across that is struggling with their menstrual health whether that be endometriosis or other conditions but they need to be aware of it they need to know that actually don't make fun of them support them um because I used to get it all the time in school you know like you'd have that good old comment going oh she's on a blob she's she's just in a mood and it's like actually no I'm in debilitating pain here Mm. but nobody listened and I think that's what the narrative we really change as a charity going in to be like hey, look, there's these conditions linked to these symptoms. Take it seriously. I think for us, like we are, well, we work with rugby. We are in a, like a male-heavy environment where, you know, our boss and our coaches and our staff are majority male. You know, we're fortunate that our, you know, physical, like our physiotherapists are female. Like really... Everyone. Yeah, yeah everyone else. They are not. men. Yeah. So, you know... And I am not shy to tell my head coach, like, he's like, everything all right today? I'm like, no, my boobs are really sore. I'm in pain. I got really bad period pains. And then I can remember the first time I said that to him about my boobs being sore, because we were doing a contact drill where we were doing a lot of tackling and hitting bags and stuff. And I was really struggling. And I told him and he was like, oh, you just seeing the, the, the mist come over? Because he was like, I don't know what I should say and what yeah. is the right thing to say. And he was like, you, you, okay, you just do what's right for you. And, and he got really uncomfortable. And yeah. like, I think if you don't have experience in a woman's environment or you don't have a, a daughter that mm. maybe, I suppose if you're a father of a daughter, yeah. you've kind of gone through that kind of stuff with uh, with periods and stuff. But if you don't, or you haven't got the experience or you've worked um, with females before where you're 
being open about periods yeah mm. it is that uncomfortable it's, kind of oh god i don't want to yeah. talk about it um and like i said i've been very open about it someone in joke in our team that i'm satan on my period uh even <laughs> one like, of our satan's arrived everyone yeah. just to let you know <laughs> don't worry i'm yeah. satan on menopause yeah so it's fine and even to the point of last year in the world cup uh, the coaches had to like um do a impression of someone shock behold one of the coaches did a satan impression of me and he came in like satan and it was like who am i and i was like fion <laughs> but like and i know i'm laughing about it but unfortunately that is the norm for us where men don't know about it like you know yeah. i like my partner of five years he did not he's always no. like oh, you're so moody and i'm like that's like my husband yes i'm moody because my pain i my barely really hurts yeah. and i'm grumpy because my hormones are through the roof because i'm <laughs> just all over the shop it's really you know interesting I mean? because like i we were saying in the car on the way here like most men have a female in their life whether that be their mother their daughter their sister their girlfriend whatever but like even what you're saying about you know if if a dad has had a daughter that's gone through it i have not ever and my dad will watch this and listen to this <laughs> i've not ever spoken about my period to my dad to the point where i would literally be like oh can you pick up some ibuprofen and like I wouldn't ever be like I've got bad period pains. I would just like, can you just get me this? Or I think I need some of this. So has he ever bought you a pack of tampons? No. Would you I ever ask him gonna... to buy you a pack of tampons? No. I would go. I would go out and buy it myself. Would or I'd he... ring my sister. He would definitely do oh, it, okay. and he would probably FaceTime me. Are these right ones? <laughs> yeah. That's what he would do because my dad's nothing but supportive. But I don't know why. But I'm just. I just don't want to talk to my dad about that. And yeah. I think that's probably one of the issues. And then, like, I'm the opposite of Fionn in the sense that I would never say to my coach, oh, I'm on my period today. <laughs> like, I just wouldn't. I just crack on with it. So where and, we contrast each other, guys. <laughs> but that's something I really struggle with because I'm like, I get a bit anxious about it. And I'm like, you know, and there's so many things I want to touch on in terms of being a female and having a menstrual cycle. And like, for example, one thing that we struggle with uh, is the shorts that we play in for Wales are white. Yeah, and now that causes a whole heap of issues. Now that you can would imagine. be a huge issue for me. Exactly <laughs> yeah, right. But, You'd be changing them at half time, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah, and there has been times where girls have bled through on their period, and mm-hmm. we're you know we're going out to run onto an international stage, and and we're, we're worrying. But we're but like, there's been times around my period, I'm literally constantly like, can you just yeah. check if I've come through? I like, wear a super tampon. I got a, pa- a gigantic waka, pad on. Waka, I got it all on because yeah. I and then I come yeah. in at half time change it all and, and i had nothing to worry about because yeah, it's not yeah. so bad but yeah but the people that are our coaches and th- like there's such a lack of education around it that they don't even know that these things are happening and th- i no. just find that that mind-blowing that's why things like uh the, the project are so important yeah. because realistically there's so much that needs to be done to uh, to build things from the ground up yeah we'd you know? be happy to come and talk to coaches if you <laughs> Please, need that would to down. we would love to do that i think it's really important though and our it physio is. is very like she's you know you've met joe um <laughs> she is female health like that is kind of her kind of background she's mm-hmm. really passionate about it so if i turned to her i was like joe i've got a I've got a great <laughs> thing for you she'd yeah. be on board with it but yeah. i think if you sat them down and were like speaking to us all and said yeah. to them what's your opinion on a period yeah. i'm telling you now they would have no idea how to respond but and that's not them personally this no, is sorry please just, sack me no, this no, is not no. a personal it's just, yeah. dig it's just unfortunately that is the the stigma for men around periods it's Am generational as well yeah. i think yeah. isn't it you know it's been that thing for years where it's not spoken about like i was lucky my dad was really supportive he would be the one over my mum who would go and buy 
pads in the supermarket. My mum was the one that was hiding them under newspapers and stuff in the trolley because she was like, no, no, nobody could know. And again, that's how she was brought up, you know, to keep it quiet, don't talk about it. So when I started talking about periods on the internet, you can imagine that went down like a lead balloon. Now she completely understands, but it was, it's one of those fears, isn't it? And I think men especially struggle not yourself yeah, you do not fit into this bubble <laughs> but i'm sure you've come across people yeah. who don't understand yeah. it was interesting even well senate when they were discussing should we embed menstrual education into schools there seemed the normal things to do to talk to boys and girls what a radical concept to say women have periods if you talk about that you won't become a taboo it's normal then and i was surprised that there was even female members of senate who were in their 40s onwards who said, we can't talk to children about menstruation. This this grinds my gears so much because I was in those conversations and uh, I don't understand it. It's it's mandatory in England, uh, menstrual health education. It isn't in Wales. It's been refused, I think, three times now. And like you said, women have voted against it as well. I have so many questions. Yeah, My me. blood is starting to boil. <laughs> yeah. So why? Why? Because I can remember you having a conversation with me saying that you fought to get yeah, it into yeah. schools and you thought it was going to be approved. Yeah. And, and, then- I, and I literally watched the Senate of the debate and I thought it would have glided straight over. And I think there's embedded cultural reasons why people are terrified to talk about women's problems, in inverted brackets. Um, and it's embedded in culture. and We don't quite know why that is. Uh, women's problems are downplayed for whatever reason. And that certainly exists. I often say if I go to my GP with a sore elbow and say, this is really hurting, you'll offer me all sorts of wonderful mm-hmm. things. But if a woman goes and says, i period pains, it's kind of, use your paracetamol, off you go, sort of stuff, without really addressing the problem. Um, and we're not really sure why this is built into our culture. But it's a real difficult thing to break. And we've generally been unsuccessful to date in addressing this, which yeah. is really sad. There's I'd- research to show, so an average so average GP visit now to be taken seriously um, for a man is average of one to be taken seriously and get to the you know, resolution that they need, whether that be referral. It's an average of 10 for a female. Nah, don't get me started. <laughs> Do not get me started. But in terms of barriers to diagnosis, that's a huge one. Because Massive. if you're, you're takes, you know, trying to pluck up the courage to go in the first place and you get there and they say, no, there's nothing wrong with you. You're right. Okay. And then that starts planting the seed, like maybe there is nothing wrong. And then symptoms worsen. And then you think, oh, but they're just going to tell me it's nothing. Like yeah. that, it, that can't happen. No. It's just and like... It, yeah. yeah, it happens over and over again. And I think, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's down to the lack of education around the condition itself um, through years of medical training. Because I think it's only now it's really more kind of embedded into the training to talk about it. Um, I have come across surgeons, not gynecologists, but other surgeons who don't know what endometriosis is. And I've had them say to me, Oh, have you got stone bags of Crohn's disease? And I've gone, no, endometriosis. Well, how can it affect that? How can it impact your bowel like that? And it's like, we see endometriosis as solely a reproductive system disease, and it's not. It's a whole body disease. Like, for me, it's taken so many organs. Now tell me that's just my periods. Yeah. It's not. So yeah. I think we need to update the training. And it is happening slowly, but it's 
what having the people that want to go into the speciality, yes. isn't it? Yeah. And I think my producer Danny's staring at me, so I hope she doesn't <laughs> mind me speaking about her on this. But um, she also is you are Danny's surgeon also, and how like she when we came into the studio today, like she said to you that you saved her life, and I don't think people understand how damaging this disease is on people like again the oh, it's painful periods or oh, this and that and people are like oh, it's nothing but people just don't understand how much a disease like this affects someone's life because like it's unseen and like you say like the lack of education the lack of knowledge and then i say i use danny's example when i know i've heard her story and i've heard how she's fought for this for years and then you know it's like how does it feel for you? Quite a personal question. How does it feel for you hearing that from someone where, you know, you're um, someone that you've, you know, helped so I saw say that you've literally saved their life? How is that for you? It's kind of bittersweet, actually, in some ways, because I, I meet patients come and see me and I listen to the story and I say, you're profoundly likely to have endometriosis. Your story is so awful. It really is dreadful. And they burst out crying. And I think, why are you crying? It's because, and they say, you've listened to me and you agree that I've got something that is causing these symptoms, but I've been told for so many years it's not. And then you diagnose them by laparoscopy looking inside pelvis. And they show them the pictures. And again, they feel vindicated by it. And they and they cry again. To not the problem of receiving the diagnosis, again, of feeling at last, I, you know, I should have been listened to and I hadn't been listened to. So that comes through and there's, you can compare all different operations, How, how, what quality output you get from operations. And one of the classic operations, if you have a cataract repair, you're blind, you can see. It's a massive change in life. Whereas laparoscopic surgery for endometriosis is the same. People come back and say, I've, I've never experienced, I roll around in agony every month. I'm now not rolling around in agony. Uh, it's a different world. It, it, it's completely different. And it's bittersweet because the ladies I often meet have suffered for 10, 20 years. And you're thinking... I wish I met you when you were 16, 17, 18, and I wish I could have given you more years of this. Um, we actually, um, well, Anna, you put it on your story, didn't you? Yeah. Where we put a question box out to say that we were doing this podcast. Well, not saying who it was, but <laughs> we were um, doing this podcast and what questions would people have uh, for you? Mm. Would you be happy to answer them? Absolutely. Okay, That's brilliant. a really good idea. Thank you very much. I have one question while we're waiting. Um, what types of uh, diseases do you think endo gets mistaken for? Because mm. I can imagine with the long, long list of symptoms yeah. um, that if some people present with some and not others and yeah. vice versa, they, there's bound to be a lot of conditions that, you know, like you're saying, you had your appendix out. It's appendicitis. Yeah. Mm. I, I got told I had, so one, it was my gallbladder, then appendicitis. Um, then it was Crohn's or colitis that they thought I had. Um, I think it gets missed, mm. doesn't it, a lot? Mm. Uh, the classic ones is people say you've got irritable bowel. Yeah. Top of the list, they say you've got IBS, you've had it for years. And actually, IBS is supposed to be a diagnosis of exclusion. But we know the symptoms of IBS cross definitely into endometriosis symptoms. Lots of ladies get misdiagnosed, completely misdiagnosed with pelvic inflammatory disease. And they're even told you've got a sexually transmitted disease. That's what's caused all your symptoms. And they haven't. I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't fit like that at all. But it's almost people trying to label these symptoms on things that are really not compatible. Anxiety, depression, uh, somatization of symptoms. And I've had really awful stories of people coming to see me. 
and been told by a variety of healthcare practitioners, even gynecologists have said, have you got a marital problem? Is mm-hmm. that your issue? Why are you coming to see me? And you think this is incredible. I mean, it really is truly awful how we still get this all wrong. Mm-hmm. I had that at 15. So when I went and saw a paediatric gynecologist and said, are you sexually active? And asked if I could have a sexually transmitted disease quite openly in front of my parents. And I was like, no chance. But they made me full on believe that that was the problem. And it wasn't. I was 15. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But it it destroys you like psychologically as well, because you just no one's listening to you. So but that's one I hear so Mm. much you know, people at the beginning of their stories is STDs are one of the biggest ones. And like, even down the line where I was married, they're going, but how do you know your husband's uh, faithful? And I was like, like, I know the bigger picture here. So they do the swabs and I've never refused swabs for that reason, because I think, well, I've got, we've got nothing to hide, but it's that that they've already judged mm-hmm. before they've even had any results. And to question somebody's relationship is just, I just think it's awful mm. like, that they can even utter those words out their mouth. That's really interesting. Thank you. Mm. Um, before we go on to the questions, I do have one question for you regarding <laughs> diagnosis. So can you just give a brief um, overview of how you would get diagnosed? Because mm. um, I suppose it is quite a one route Yes, diagnosis. it's kind of interesting. Our national guidelines would say you have to laparoscope people, essentially operate on them and put a telescope into their abdomen to see endometriosis. But actually, that's probably not true. Um, there, there are several ways to do it. One is symptoms. And about 15 years ago, we created this mathematical model. Of, I put all these symptoms into this Kavita model and then followed up this population of ladies who doesn't have endometriosis, what extent of endometriosis. So you could use symptoms as predictors of endometriosis and this model ran overnight and you assessed it the next day three questions came to the top and if you ask people one of these three questions if they say yes the probability of endometriosis is in the 90 percent and the first question sounds ridiculous to ladies with endometriosis and it's painful periods more than two paracetamol change your lifestyle because of period pain time off work time off school or future planning my period is due next weekend i wanted to go to this party i won't go to the party and you're changing your social life because of it. And the third thing, which is quite surprising, is using hot water bottles. Not for cold mm-hmm. feet, but I watch ladies in offices walking around with hot water bottles on the abdomen constantly. And they say, we've got two or three. We keep them in all sorts of cupboards. Because, and I see people with burn marks on the abdomen because burning the abdomen is less painful than endometriosis. And it reflects how awful the disease is. So they're really strong three predictors. And severe endometriosis, cyclical rectal bleeding occurring with a period of pain or opening in bowels at the time of your period, to such an extent you faint. These are real strong predictor markers, yeah. Pain deep on intercourse to such a degree people go, we ain't going to do that because that's misery and that's going to cause me pain for the next few days. And people avoid intercourse because we know the most common cause of pain deep on intercourse is intractable, is endometriosis. So you can use those to predict there's new things coming. There's even a saliva test, which is interesting. Um, so you can, and it's a byproduct weird enough of when we did the research for the COVID vaccine that we use artificial intelligence to measure a variety of biochemical um, assays on, on a saliva test. You can use that to predict who has endometriosis with great accuracy beforehand. 
and that kind of exists commercially. But one of the problems with it, it's no better than taking a good history. So actually asking those questions is just as effective. Should we go on to the questions? Go for it, absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. I haven't seen Mm. these. (laughs) Um, What should we start with? Um, How far has research actually progressed into understanding endo? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I I read a statement this morning of a gynecologist who recently died and he wrote in his 54 years of practice and he described the change in endometriosis. And it was quite sad in some ways, things we've done zero progress with. I mean, and really identifying ladies with endometriosis, treating ladies early with endometriosis, um, not somatizing people uh, with endometriosis uh, and, and all these failures of cultural identity. But actually in terms of endometriosis research, there's a massive, massive inroads and there's suddenly a little change and develop and there suddenly is rapid development. So we got some interesting stuff around the corner. Artificial intelligence is certainly there and that's changing drug manufacture in a big way. Robotic surgery is there. Artificial intelligence will link with that. Surgery at one point will start to become a thing of the past and mm-hmm. biochemical treatment will take over. We've got some really interesting drugs. This year is the first drug that's been created and licensed for treating endometriosis and we'd never had that before which is new. There's another drug that's going to come out in the very near future that hasn't got a name yet because it's still got the trial name of CF113 and that'll be the next thing. Um, uh, and then in the future, there'll be something which is kind of like a, a vaccination, almost an injection for endometriosis. And we spoke about interleukin earlier and how it stimulates nerves to fire. And there's a product that's created and it's going to exist at some point in time that can block interleukin creation. So there's kind of really interesting stuff going on in the future. Um, and I think pharmaceutical companies avoided massive research in endometriosis, but I think they're now realising it's a massive problem, actually, and actually treating people can significantly improve lifestyles of people, communities and countries. So th- there is progress. That's very good to know. <laughs> um can a gynae that doesn't specialise in endo remove endo in a surgery successfully? Gosh, yes. that was a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> yes, without a doubt, yes. Um, so they, we've got problems in, without a doubt, treating endometriosis in a surgical way within the UK for a variety of reasons. Um, one of our reasons is our healthcare system. Um, we've subconsciously, if not deliberately ignored women with endometriosis in the past. And there was always a culture, an idea of if you've got somebody with suspected endometriosis at a young age, ignore them because they'll end up with an operation or more operations, which was a crazy idea. So there's this culture of ignoring people to a degree, but this just suffered in real terms. So we've got a backlog of people to treat. Uh, a huge number of people to treat with very, very sick surgeons. Endometriosis can certainly be treated by general gynecologists and operated upon. But what we should do, which the UK is actually really good at, is complex and difficult endometriosis, so stuff with bowel or bladder symptoms, uh, for instance, or what they call deep infiltrative disease going into nerves and things where you need surgery that spares nerves, should be done by people trained to an advanced level in endometriosis surgery. What you can't do at the moment is to push all endometriosis surgeons to advanced endometriotic surgeons because there is no capacity to do that. There's only two or three of us. Um, We've had a few questions around hysterectomies. Mm. 
Um, what I'll say both. And um, how long after pregnancy can or should you get a hysterectomy for endo? And how hard is it to get help with returning endo after a hysterectomy? Yeah, the, the, the three questions there. It's really interesting. Um, hysterectomy is one of the weird myths in, in endometriosis care. And they say, I know what we'll do for you. We'll do a hysterectomy. Um, and they'll say, we've removed your gynae organs, therefore you're not under the care of gynecologists. And that's a really bad thing to do because we know if you remove the uterus, you'll remove the painful periods because you don't bleed every month by definition, but you'll have all the other symptoms. You'll still have pain every month. You'll still have the bowel problems. You'll have the bladder problems. You'll have the fatigue, etc. So a hysterectomy as a treatment for endometriosis is virtually worthless on its own. It has a place, though. So when you say about like, do you think that's why the pill is kind of given as like, oh, just take the pill because it kind of Mm. masks the, Mm. oh, well, you won't have a period if you're on the pill. So it kind of like, what is your opinion on that? So it's kind of interesting. So all our contraceptions, be it combined pill, mini pill, marina coil, implant, injection, Depo-Provera injection once a month. They're all equally effective or ineffective for treating endometriosis. So if you've got someone with just period pains, I mean, I mean, period pain, agonizing pain once a month, but no other symptoms, how effective will a combined contraceptive pill be at addressing that? Your cure rate for that is around 20%. So it does work. A nice guideline says if you've got somebody with endometriosis, you're allowed to offer them several months trial of contraceptive to see does that work. But if not working, doesn't mean they haven't got endometriosis, for instance, because 80% of them will say, well, I'm a better bit, doc, but I'm not functional. I have no doubt. I've not got the, the level uh, of lifestyle that I'd want. And then for people listening, is it something that slows the growth? So if you've, um, mm. in my instance, where I've had it removed, mm. and then me being on the pill is something that will slow my growth? Obviously, realistically, my it's probably going to return, but will it slow that down? Yes, you're absolutely right. So two years ago, there's this brilliant study that looked at two populations, ladies who had excision removal of endometriosis, but it's cutting out, not just burning, and ladies who were on hormonal contraception or not. And there was a difference. So if people had either florid disease or residual disease, if you take a hormonal contraception afterwards, it significantly reduces your chance of recurrence. So there certainly is a place for hormonal treatment afterwards. I've got two more. (laughs) <laughs> last one's good okay uh, why does it take so long for endometriosis to be diagnosed hmm. I think you're putting you on the spot here no, no, that's a really good question uh, and, and the awful thing is we know the reasons why we're having difficulty addressing it um, we've got cultural barriers not to talk about periods or women's problems yeah and that's a, a cultural it's a religious basis part of it as well around the world which is another problem um, we've got a healthcare system that is almost designed to bat people down. There's a hierarchy of structures. You go to your GP and your GP says, there's nothing wrong with you. And therefore you don't feel empowered to say, well, no, there is actually. And that's one of the reasons why using apps and models is a really good way to address things. Um, you've got economic reasons, healthcare economics, where health organizations don't really want to treat people with endometriosis because they're very expensive and difficult to treat. It's not a simple problem. Uh, so you've got these various barriers there that essentially stop diagnosis. Even that, here's the awful thing about it, that we know even when you laparoscope people, we know that laparoscopy misses endometriosis in non-expert hands. So that's been a problem as well in the past. 
And my final two-ish questions that I'm going to open to the floor, um, which kind of hit home for me, really. How do you get the people in your life to understand the complexity of this condition? And what's the best way to support a friend suffering incredibly with endo? The floor is open. Wow. Well, how do you feel then, as the friend mm-hmm. of me with endo, how do you feel, okay, if I'm, you know going through an episode in training like how do, how do you feel like that, do you know what yeah, I mean yeah it's actually happened recently yeah it actually um, has yeah yeah so happened, literally two weeks ago actually well yeah firstly I think it's just having an awareness that like like as a woman I have a period every month and I know how hard that is and so f- from that point of view I can be like okay Fionn's going through that 10 times worse so that's step one put yourself in their shoes also just understand that like sometimes you're not actually going to be able to you can't do anything to fix the problem but you can just be there to help like um so the other week we were doing um a conditioning session at training and I noticed that Fionn was missing like I was like where's she gone where's she gone and I noticed her stuff was there and then so I went to the physio room and then the physio said she's in there like she had an endo flare-up so I went in and I honestly I felt quite helpless because I was like I don't know what to do other than I just like went and got her stuff for her, brought her stuff for her. Do you need anything? Like, do you need any water? And I just, it's hard because it's never nice to see someone that you really care about suffering with something. And I, I, I'd be interested to see what you think, how I am dealing with, with it. But, and same thing, like, um, like if you come on your period, I'm like, okay, just let me know if you need anything, like whatever I can do to help that kind of thing. But yeah. it's, it's, it is hard because ultimately I'm never going to understand to the to the full extent of, of how that feels. But all I can do is just try and offer my assistance and to be there for you, you know? I try not to cry throughout the whole speech, everyone. I've swallowed <laughs> in <laughs> my emotions. Um, no, I think, yeah, it was hard for me, I suppose, because I kind of thought that, oh, I'll be fixed after surgery. But then I'm like, I can remember you telling me, nope, it'll take you... It could be up to a year when you start to feel the benefits of that being removed. And I suppose, yeah, having that team conditioning session then afterwards, it had the worst flare-up I've ever had. Like, I was holding onto the walls in the toilet. Like, I felt literally... I had to look down. Am I? Is there a child coming out of me? Because this is what I figure... I, that's what I feel like labour would be like, how painful it was. Um, and then I literally laid in a dark room by myself, like the physio put towels over me. And I was literally in this dark room for about an hour. The blinds were closed. And then Gwen came in and like, it doesn't seem like probably much for you, but that is enough for me. Cause I, I know quiet. like, oh for God, <laughs> we are not too emotionally unstable on this, <laughs> this sofa. But, um, yeah. And then you went into the gym and Gwen texted me to be like, just, you're amazing just to let you know that I'm here for you and that was more than enough I was sat there crying anyway because I was just exhausted from the from the, the episode as I call it and then yeah so I think you did a great job Gwen thank you um, yeah. f- for me it's like the awareness side of it again and the education like literally Fionn's in this room and there's one wall and there's a big gym and everyone's in the gym cracking on with their gym session no one's even mm. noticed that Fionn's not there and everyone's just laughing and joking playing really loud music and I, I got really agitated about that then because I was like, mm. guys, can you just, Fiona's next door. She's had an endo flare up. Can you please just be aware? And I think that there's a lot, there's a lot to be said about that. And I think mm. people need to understand it's not just, oh, she's, you know, she's in a bit of a bad way. No, like she's in a really bad way. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to have that education because actually I think, especially around something like endo, even 
women's awareness isn't there there's no. a lot of women that yeah. go oh, through massively. periods every month but, but they have no idea what it's like to no. have endo well i suppose in that scenario yeah i'm lying in this dark room with towels over me like crying exhausted apps and i've got a whole leg session left to do like i'm obviously recovering from an acl injury so i've got x y and z that i need to do before my day's done so i'm thinking in my head okay i need to do what i need to do to recover from this episode so i can go and get, do my job but then yeah like you said like that's the best way of saying it it's a wall between me and i can all like a new is my team's life just going on the other side of the wall, like music blaring and my face is like, oh, you need to sleep. And I'm like, well, life's still going on outside yeah. of this room. I'm so it's kind of, yeah. next door. I'm meant <laughs> well, to sleep, like. Baseline junkie, that's yeah. what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, and then I, I laid there for an hour, got up and then I got on with it. I left, wait for everyone to leave so that I didn't have this sappy persona. Uh, and then I just got on and did my leg session by myself. And I was like... I was like, great. I was like, but I knew how important it was. I got my session done. But you came up to me, you were like, how, how did you just do that? I'm like, I have no idea. I was just coming up to it being like, this is me giving you some energy, <laughs> some support. Like, how you know, it's, it's, it's hard. And honestly, I think we're lucky that we have quite an open and honest friendship mm. and that you can say, say to me. I say how it is. Yeah. And you can say to me how you feel and you can say, no, like, this is how I feel. I feel crap. But I am going to get on with my gym if you could just support me with that. But I think, unfortunately, probably because of the stigma and the taboo, a lot of women don't even speak to other women and they're best friends and they don't even know what anyone's going through. So I suppose it's interesting for you to get your opinion on that because obviously when I spoke out about my endo, everyone around me was like, I have no idea what it is. Like my family were like, what the hell is that? And I, I didn't even know what it was when we started speaking about it. And like mm-hmm. I say, I'm still learning. So how is it for you then? Um when you got diagnosed and this process of you understanding your condition, how was it for you educating everybody else around you? That's a really hard question. <laughs> I'm just going to say though, my brother sent me your thing because he's a big rugby fan. Oh, no so way. he oh, wow. sent it because he's, bless him, he's so supportive. But he was like, look, somebody's spoken out about endometriosis. And that in itself is like powerful because it helps so many people and by the way as a friend you're golden for doing what you've done we give Gwen a clap yeah (laughs) definitely (laughs) because I've been through it to say the least I think especially from teenage years because people just didn't understand um you know I didn't drink alcohol from the age of 19 up until now yes yeah my god (gasps) yeah so much sense yeah so um I did try it after I had my stomach because I thought it was to do with my bowel. And I did try it and I was okay, but I don't like the taste mm. of it anymore. It's just not worth mm. it. Mm. So I stick to my tea. Danny, do you drink it. alcohol? I do drink, did drink quite a lot of, I don't know if this is picking up on the mic. Yeah, She said she did drink. Go on, Danny. Mic. Come in. I'll come to your mic. Yeah, go on. I see. So I was drinking, I used to drink wine every single day, red wine without fail every single day. Since my surgery, I've had one glass of wine and I had the worst bowel problems I've ever had. Mm. So is it to do with that? Is it not? Who knows? Will I abstain moving forward? Will I not? Also, who Who knows? knows? (laughs) But but no, I find that really interesting that you're both finding that such a huge flare because that didn't flare me. But I think it's quite specific to each individual person. You yeah. all have your own triggers. But it's only when I hear somebody Thank else... You. Thank you, Danny. Um, it's only when I hear somebody else say X, Y, and, or X, Y, and Z, or no. this flares me up. I'm like, huh, actually, that, I have those issues, but I don't link it. This is my problem, which I've learned. Yeah. So, again, being an athlete, now I've learned, which has been really difficult, is that 
the fatigue because that is one thing that I've struggled with the most is the fatigue and being an athlete well my job is to train from like 8am in the morning to like 4pm in the afternoon constantly active I am fucking sorry to swear but I am fucking (laughs) knackered and like like, and I didn't link it before and then I'd be in the gym and I'd be like everyone's like you're taking so long like because I'm tired but I also think it does it's another thing that just gets passed off as being normal yeah because you know being a a professional athlete well even both going through knee injuries like i'm knackered at the end of the day mm-hmm. and then so i'm just like oh yeah we're all tired yeah but like you're extremely fatigued and extremely tired but really again tired people everyone. are like oh well you know it's because you're you're recovering from surgery you know you had anesthetic two months ago so it's still in your system there's always an excuse there's always yeah. a reason oh you're a pussy and you need to grow up <laughs> well <laughs> oh, yeah i got that one quite there a bit. is that there is that as well yeah why does it make us tired please do you have an answer it does it's well recognized and when you ask ladies rank your symptoms endometriosis from the worst fatigue is always in the top three mm-hmm. this is what yeah. you said to me i can remember looking at you in the eyes and you're like I'm really tired all the time. Is this is this an issue? is this part of this? And you were like, you, you said that to me. You said that exact thing, and I was like, oh, I just felt like four stone lighter. I was yeah. like, this makes so much sense. I literally be doing a, a squat mm. set in the gym, mm. and I'd have to take like five minutes to recover because mm. I am literally knackered. But before mm. my diagnosis, obviously I had endo without knowing. Mm. Before my diagnosis, I was just like, what am I doing wrong? Mm. I'd overfuel because I thought I wasn't fueled enough, not eating enough. So I was putting on weight because I was eating too much because I thought. I just feel fear. Then I was thinking, not sleeping enough. No one wants a room with me in camp because everyone knows how much I sleep. And, mm. oh, I get up five minutes before the alarm because I'm like, oh, I need to sleep so much because I'm so tired. So it means I'm not sleeping enough. Mm. I was constantly thinking, I am not doing enough. I'm There's mm. something in my life that I'm doing wrong that's making me so tired. And then when you said that to me, I was like... <gasps> Oh my god, it makes so much sense. And I think one of fatigue is, I, I without a doubt, one of my worst symptoms because when people go, "Oh, you're just tired," and it's like mm, it's bone tired, you know, mm. you feel it in your bones, like it's yes. horrific. Yes, that's it. Yeah, it literally every part of you aches. It's horrible, and it's one of those symptoms that doesn't go away. Great. Like the the <laughs> levels of it change. Like you, sometimes you cope with it much better, and then you notice if your conditions like getting worse or you're having a flare up, it's much much worse. But I really struggle with that because there was, t- especially before my recent surgery, I couldn't get th- through the day without going for a sleep in mm. the afternoon. Like everyone calls it a nana nap. Yeah. But it wasn't a nana nap. It was like two, three hours solid that I would need. And then I'd sleep at night. But also you're then uncomfortable and you're in pain at night because I don't know if there is link, but your pain is worse at night for whatever reason that is. But you do... And then you struggle and you overthink and then that Mm. causes the anxiety. And it's like this huge cycle. And I think like going back to like the friendships, that was one thing people do not understand is that because they just think, oh, you're just tired. Or you're lazy. Yeah. Or you're lazy. Exactly. My boyfriend about that. (laughs) He'd come home and he'd be like, I'm on the sofa. And he's like, oh, you haven't cleaned the house. I'm like... I'm really tired. He's like, no, you're being lazy. I'm like, mm. <gasps> I'm yeah. not lazy. I'm just so tired. Like I have nowhere. Yeah. I like the, the, I get home from like 
day of training and the sofa just sucks me in because I'm literally got, I just feel like I'm just like sunk because I've got no energy left. The thought of going to do dishes, hun? No. Not for me at the moment. Well, I do it at seven when I probably had a kip and then I'm fueled to go. Just train him up. <laughs> That's what I did with my husband. He now just washing up. But I think that comes with time with being diagnosed with a condition when you're in a relationship. So like my, I was diagnosed when I met my husband because I was diagnosed relatively young and I think like he had no idea what it was to the degree it is now. Like we've been through hell and back um, and he's learned a lot along the way. But he's also learned that compassion and that patience to have because it's not his fault. Like he didn't, he was never taught it. Mm. So how is he going to understand that we go through this, that people actually can't have conditions like this and they go through it? And again, it goes back to there's nothing physical to show for it. You can't see that somebody's got a broken leg or whereas your insides are just full of blisters. Mm. That's what, that's how I describe it. It's like you've got like loads of blisters inside that keep popping and it's excruciating. Um, and I think like he's, he's come a long way over like nearly 12 years, but that's not his fault. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not people's fault that they don't know. It's just generationally, we've not spoken about it. And it goes back to like having it in schools. We, that's why we do what we do with Menstrual Health Project. We kind of interject ourselves into places (laughs) because I think it's so important to make just people think that little bit more to be like, actually light bulb goes off and goes actually we need to know this information and it's everybody that needs to know that information i think a huge thing is being open-minded and i think people need to want to learn about something because you don't take anything in otherwise and that that you know that's across the board but like for me like with fion i'm always like i want to know one what you're going through and how i can then help but unfortunately some people just i think it's naivety and it's yeah. like well it doesn't, it doesn't affect me so you know i'm, I'm just gonna going... crack on with my life but you've got to want to learn to actually then open your eyes to what's yeah. going on because you only see what you see yeah. you know if you if you're got your blinkers on and you're like oh well, this is happening this is great like yeah. and i i think in a weird way like i think if you've gone through something that separated you from something else and made you feel isolated then you can resonate with someone who's going through that whether it be the same thing or not so for me with injuries i have had two back-to-back injuries i felt very isolated i felt on my own and then i can be like okay different scenario but i can resonate with how fion feels in terms of having endo which is something that's you know other people don't understand and people are just getting on with their lives and not thinking about what you're going through and it makes me think like i know to some extent, again, different scenarios, but to some extent what being isolated feels like and being misunderstood feels like. So then I can look at Fiona and be like, I get how you're feeling, not what you're feeling, but I get the general gist. And I think it's so important to be open-minded to learn about these things. I think as well, like I I found through my journey, I say journey, it's not a very fun journey, but what I found is people's tolerance become less and especially because I've gone into surgery like back to back quite a lot. People don't, their compassion slips and they kind of be like, oh, she's doing it again. She's going into surgery again. Instead of actually understanding the condition, you don't have to read all the literature. You don't need to know what it means inside out. You just need that kindness and that compassion 
to be like, actually, this is something long term. There's no quick fix because that's something I get asked all of the time and it doesn't matter which surgery I've had but they're like oh so you're fixed now and it's like uh no because like especially having my stomas that yes they saved my life they did because my bowel nearly perforated and I could ended up in kidney failure with my bladder but the fact I've got those they're long term they're not reversible. I'm I still under medical care 24-7 for them. They've also caused other issues. So it's like, it, it ju- doesn't just stop there. And I think there are some people who don't quite understand that you can't be fixed and there's not a quick answer. And I think I always say, if those people don't understand and aren't willing to understand, they're not your people. And you just, whether that's family, friends, acquaintances that they're, they're not your people and and they're not there to support you because anybody with your best interests at heart will be there just like Gwen was yes uh, Gwen be, yeah <laughs> just being there even if it doesn't seem much just checking in that makes a huge difference because I've had it where I've had huge surgeries and I haven't had a text message. Oh my gosh, it's my life. <laughs> you know, like, and it's heartbreaking yeah. because you take that as if you've done something and you've got no control over your it body. It takes 3.5 seconds. Not even that. that. Not even that. To be like, no. how are you? Vo- vo- Danny, voice Will note. It <laughs> 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 takes literally 3.5 seconds, not even that, to send, how are you? Just check, just, che- just the word, just checking in. Oh, that's nice. Mm. Yeah. And I think that to give an idea, obviously had my ACL um, meniscus surgery in my knee and then had my endo surgery not long after. Everyone asks me, how's your knee recovery going? How's mm. your knee? I'm like, hello, my <laughs> stomach is also not okay. Yeah. No one asks me. Yeah. Not one person in the last however many months since my surgery has said to my face, oh, how's your stomach? How's your, how's it, how's it, how's it now? Everything's about my knee. Knee, 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 knee. And don't get me wrong, when I spoke out what my endo, the response I had was, is insane. But it was from people externally that were like, thank you so much for speaking out. This is amazing. It's going to do so good. But then there's, there's the people that messaged me, but when I had my ACL surgery, to the people that messaged me about my endo surgery, worlds apart. Yeah. And if anything, I was more upset and more like kind of not traumatised, probably the wrong word, but it affected me more negatively than what my ACL did. And I actually probably needed people more finding that out than I did having my knee fixed, well, you know? Realistically, like knee injuries, ankle injuries, shoulder injuries, whatever, they affect our career, which is, what, 10 years, if you're lucky. Something like endo, that's your life. Oh, that's a clip. <laughs> but yeah. it is, like, and, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think... That's really interesting you saying that because I think so many athletes, elite athletes, we get so caught up in physical things like, you know, oh gosh, I've picked up an injury, I'm out for a year, and blah, 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 blah. In the grand scheme of things, realistically, that's not, you know, you might have a bit of like arthritis in your knees when you're older, but it doesn't, it doesn't destroy your quality of life from when you got it and for forevermore. Whereas something like endo is something you've got to live with. And I think that's probably why you, you felt almost so much worse post that up and wanting people to be there for you more post that up because you know people go through knee surgeries all the time how many elite athletes do you know that have been through endosurgery leah williamson yeah i was just gonna say that leah williamson who actually had acl we've tried tried to interject into there as well to be like like, can we come and do a talk please gil i know what you're going through (laughs) um 
one question I've got for the both of you. The answers may be different, mm. maybe similar. Mm. If you now, what would you like to see change or become so much better? What would you like to see in the end or world in, I'd say, three to five years' time? What is your ideal scenario where the world changes for endometriosis? Wow, it's big. It is. Identification of endometriosis in schools and empowerment of people. I think the word empowerment keeps coming up. It does. It's really important. As cliche as it is, knowledge is power. Mm. And I think like... This podcast is insane. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think for me, very similar. Selfishly with our charity, that is our biggest goal, is to hopefully be able to have we're hoping to kind of develop e-learning for teachers to be able to have in all schools to give them that strength to be able to just spot signs, you know, when some when a pupil comes up to them and says, actually, I'm struggling, instead of maybe belittling them or put, you know, not... And majority of the time, it's not through... Like, they're not purposefully trying to put them down they just don't know and they're not aware so they kind of put it down to other things so for us like as a charity our toolkits in all schools would be insane like that's our goal and just to kind of break those barriers down hopefully get whales to get on board with menstrual health education they are doing some great work within like we work with healthy schools whales so they are doing good work but it's it varies across the country and and again same with england with menstrual health education as much as it's mandatory the quality of that um training is very different up and down the country again so it's making sure that it's consistent across the board that people feel confident they don't have to know the ins and outs of like conditions like endometriosis they just need to be aware that actually somebody could be going through that and i would say lastly is parliament to take it more seriously and to actually see it as a whole body condition, not just a reproductive system condition, and to actually listen to the voices of endometriosis patients um, and not put gynaecology at the bottom of the pile every single time. Preach. Say that again. (laughs) Um, Yes. So to finalise this amazing episode, which, by the way, this has just been insane, um, we have a closing tradition on the podcast where our previous guest would leave our next guest a question. Oh, I love that. Mm. Yes. The guest after you guys is going to have two questions. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you can either decide a question together or you can have each put a question Mm. yourselves. That's very good. Um, So... So there's actually two parts of this question. The second part is actually cool. hilarious. Okay, so um, first part of the question, who is your role model and why? Which is a really don't, interesting don't question. Part. Let answer part answer this and then we'll go part two. You can have a thing. Who is your role model and why? Tony. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're I, built, yeah. I built confidence over the episode. <laughs> I'm holding on to the chair like this. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. There are many, many people. Um, who I've encountered. Um, Many of them are patients that are role models, actually, because they go through a tremendous, tremendous disease process and they come out on the other side and they've shaped and helped other people. And they get no benefit in themselves, but they've helped other people. So I think it would be difficult to define one person, but there are many, many patients who've done that. 
and that is exceptional. It's a very good answer. Oh, he's so nice. <laughs> I love that. That's, That's a really good answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really difficult, but I would say my purpose is my daughter, mm-hmm. just to change the future for their generation. As a role model, I have to say my dad, because my dad was the one who researched endometriosis surgeons, took me at the time to a very good one, like he paid privately for me to go. He was one in my corner 24-7, telling me that it wasn't normal, that what I was experiencing wasn't in my head. And I'm 30 now and he's still there, right by my side every single time, and... He's not a man of many words, my dad. Like, he's typical, you know, North Wales, very kind of... Yeah, well, hard exterior. Um, But, yeah, I would say him and my tide, because my tide battled through so much with cancer and he had sarcoidosis on his lungs. And um, if I've got half the bloodline... I'm good to go. You've got it. Guaranteed yeah. from just hearing your story of the last hour and a bit. You've got it. Let me tell you. Yeah. Okay. So love those answers, by the way. Um, I'm intrigued here. <laughs> Be open-minded for this question. Yeah. Yeah. What is your favourite mul- <laughs> favourite Mulacorna yoghurt? <laughs> uh, I'm really boring. So oh. mine's the vanilla and chocolate balls one. Oh, the digestive ones, is it? That yeah. is good. Simple yeah. but effective. It is. Mine's the toffee loops while oh, we're here. I love the toffee yogurt with like toffee. Oh, I mean, but you oh also can't go wrong with just good. a standard strawberry one. Oh, oh that's no. my the husband. Strawberry one. Like just, that. That's just as because nice. I like the mixture of textures that the. I'm the with crunch. you. I don't like. I'm not a huge fan of like. You know, like jam Mush. bits oh, in yogurt, bits. whereas I like biscuit yes. in my yogurt. I like all the bits. Can't lie, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours? Have you made a decision? A thinking yeah, you are. He is in deep thought. Uh, of uh, all uh, the questions uh, we've asked oh, him. Oh, I'm salivating. Uh, <laughs> the Muller yogurt is, because you can say it's healthy, even if it's not, but you can say it's healthy, so it tastes even nicer yes. then. So I'm having yeah. yogurt. It must be good for me. Yeah. Um, I think they like little white balls. Yeah. I like the strawberry sound yogurt. Of yeah, with, oh, yes. Yes, with the white like balls. It's funny, when I go on to dinner with my grandparents, <laughs> my grandma always brings out the one with the digestive balls and the one with the white balls, the strawberry one. And she always goes, You pick first before Gramps. I always t- steal the digestive mm. one. He's looking at me like, Oh, it's my favourite. I'm like, Well, you snooze your nose, Gramps. The beauty snooze of Malacorna yogurts is that you can get them in a pack of six and then you can have them all. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, the week, I've got my daughter onto him now and that's a big mistake because you think you've got your yogurts in the fridge and she snaffled them all <laughs> and it's just yeah but that's a very good question I'm glad it was good, that it? over biscuits though because yeah. that's yeah, that's, a, that's an episode in itself but no thank you both so so much I've been so excited for this episode something I'm really really passionate about and yeah you both doing incredible things in this world then you see more people like the both of you um yeah huge respect for what you're doing and just thank you so so much for spending your time your friday evening with us i have learned so much and i'm like again i'm really grateful for to have people like you not only to educate myself but to to be there and to for the empowerment part like having people like you helps people like my friend Fionn to feel empowered and to feel like they're not alone. And ultimately that again is what this podcast is about is to remind people that they're not alone no matter what they're going through. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Um, All details of your 
do you want to say where we'll find the Mental Health Project? Because yeah. it'll all be in the show notes. Yeah, so we're at Menstrual Health Project on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. Oh, X, not nice. Twitter. Um, and then just www.menstrualhealthproject.org.uk. And if you want to message anytime, I'm Battle with Endo on um, Instagram, which is where I use my for my advocating. And do you want to put your secretary's details in this? Because the amount of people I've sent to you at the moment, she must be very busy. It's like a secret number, yeah. but everyone finds it. It's really weird. It's on yeah, Google. She, it yeah, is on Google. Well, yeah. Shared it with many people. <laughs> Any knowledge you'd want people, where can people go to go and find anything they need? Or what would you recommend someone listening to this would be like, okay, I need to do something about what I need, what I'm struggling with. What advice would you give? Where would they go and find any information? Yeah, there's loads of really, really good stuff out there, surprisingly. Um, there's something called a NICE Guidelines, which is the National Guidelines for Essentially Managing Endometriosis. That's a really powerful statement. One thing we didn't talk about is infertility. We know that's strongly linked with endometriosis. And there's a NICE Guideline for subfertility and endometriosis. And I meet loads of people who are having fertility treatment but not have had their end or addressed. And that's, that's really useful to read as well. Well, you'll have to come back for part two, won't you? <laughs> I sit on the board with Nice. Uh, so I wow. sit as a layman. Guys, you're going you're gonna to buckle up because we're going <laughs> to start part two now, I think. <laughs> yeah, I sit on the, as a lay member for the endometriosis guidelines because they're updating it. Mm. But um, yeah, our toolkits, the endometriosis mm. one, has all the info about the Nice guidelines mm. because I think quoting them is a game changer yeah, for people really within... Uh, primary care especially amazing well I'm really sad that I'm going to have to say I'm going to have to otherwise we're going to be here all night but again thank you so so much really really appreciate it thank you very much and remember to keep saying it out as people (laughs) yeah thanks for listening to today's episode we hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did please like follow and subscribe to make sure you stay up to date and say it how it is and don't forget to share these conversations with the people you think it may help the most You'll find all of ours and our guest social media handles linked in the show notes below. We can't wait to see you all next week. And remember to keep saying it how it is.